This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And welcome to episode 123 of the Stacey West podcast. Uh, I am Ben, as ever, and Gaz is back this week. How are you doing, my good man? Yes, I'm delighted to be back, upbeat, bringing the fun. <laughs> it wasn't that bad last week, was it? I'll be honest, um, I, I mean, as you know, now I don't normally listen back and I did stop and have a little listen and played it to Fee um, and, and she was convinced we were in the relegation spots after the first five minutes of the pod. <laughs> um, I, I, in, in your defence, there was, uh, Jake did seem particularly uh, down. I, I'm not just saying that because of his opening gambit about replacing me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think there was... I think there was there was comments from both of you that did make me double check the league table. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I mean, I, I think you know it, it was a bit. It, as we said, it was it was hard to preview last week because we didn't know where we were in terms of a squad. We didn't really know um, how we were gonna, you know, how we were gonna be with people, you know, who was coming back, how things were gonna be. But um, yeah, I I I didn't think I was overly negative i think there was one bit where you did say that we just needed to get these games out of the way ready for next season uh i yeah i might have done actually yeah. <laughs> thinking about that's like that moment of realization isn't it when you've had a drunken evening and so you were going i want that bad was it and then you go well you did call your mother-in-law up and call her an old hag oh yeah i did do that didn't i yeah um, yeah. moment of realisation so but it was my fault I didn't come on the podcast I wasn't aware I, I'm normally a fun sponge I normally take the fun out of things so it was actually quite nice for people to say that um, that you two are miserable because I am uh, I've been miserable my entire life on purpose um, when I was 22 I used to get called Victor Meldrew so for me to suddenly be the positive one is a seismic shift in um, in everything Fee's laughing at the side of me because she genuinely knows she knows what it's like when I have to queue outside Tesco's for anything more than 30 seconds the world is ending so yeah 
Yeah, to be fair, I'm I'm kind of the same. I think, you know, might be two sides of the same coin and somehow when we're put together, it's like, you know, two two negatives make a positive, I guess. But So are you trying to blame Jake? Seeing as he's not here, then yes. Um, that's he, the he easiest will, thing to do, isn't it? He will listen and I'm not going to blame him because he does great previews, which often are quite upbeat um, <laughs> and, and, and positive. So... Maybe it's just you two are like a double negative. From here on in, you will be known as the miserable twins. Cool. I mean, you know, I'd have probably gone with Waldorf and Statler or something, you know. You, well, you didn't see that, did you? Because I actually tweeted that immediately after listening to the podcast, but you wouldn't know, obviously, because at the minute you're on a, a social media break. Indeed, I am. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't see that, but it's nice to know that we're thinking on the same wavelength. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I in in my defence, I did predict a draw, and Jake did predict a win um, uh, against uh, against Blackpool over the weekend. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't get that far into the podcast uh, because literally after about ten minutes, I looked out the window. It was raining, and the rainbow uh, was black and white. That's how miserable you made me feel. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, we you know we did we did end on something of a positive note for the Blackpool game, and. Um, yeah, it, it kind of came to pass. I think obviously the first half was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a nothing, nothing half. Um, wasn't you know wasn't the best by any stretch, but came out after they went two 0 up. I thought you know it, it was almost a bit like they thought, well, we've not really got too much to lose at this point, so let's play some football. And when they did that, I didn't think it. Uh, I don't think it was a bad second 45, really. Um, I thought we were, you know, solid. And that seemed to be the thing, the uh, the, the thread of the week, didn't it? Um, it was, uh, I, I almost felt towards the end that, you know, we, we, we were potentially going to go on and win that game on, on Saturday. Um, it definitely had that feeling where I think we were really putting in, to use the phrase that I don't think anybody really likes, but they were really putting in a shift. And I, I think we were, probably a little bit unlucky not to come away with all three points in the end would you reckon yeah I think I think a draw was probably a fair result I mean it's unfair of me there to say we we were that bad in the first half because um, we hadn't played for a while there's a little bit of rustiness there Blackpool obviously came at us very well I actually thought the first 10 minutes we did all right I know people are, are, are kind of going against that and saying that it was a dour first half but I thought we looked at it um and and then obviously uh, their class began to show through. I, I didn't see where a goal was coming from. And yeah, I don't think it was a case of com- them coming out in the second half thinking they'd won the game. Obviously, Michael made a bit of a shift around. Looked like he went to a 4-4-2. Um, pulled Brennan Johnson more central. Harry Anderson came on. And I just thought we got a, a bit of a spring in our step. And I really liked the fact he used all five substitutes, um, mm. which I think is the first time in, in a competitive game uh, that, that he's done that. Because... We seemed very, very fresh by the end of it. And you are right. We did look like the side likely to go on and win it. I actually thought they had a really good penalty shout in, in injury time, um, which I know chatting to Tom Maine, a, a friend of mine who's Blackpool fan, he felt that it, that was a penalty. Um, but, you know, actually, I thought it was an inconsistent refereeing performance. And whilst that doesn't, there's no blame attached to the referee, particularly for the result, because we weren't great in the first half and they weren't great in the second half. You know, Michael... Um, said in his press conference, I think that he felt there was a foul in the build up to the first goal. Yeah, I really probably agree with him. To be fair, it, it I, looked a little bit. 
looked soft for me. I, I, it looks to me like the lads pirouetted round McGrandles and, and McGrandles has caught one in the face and gone down. VAR maybe gives it as a foul, but you know VAR gives anything as a foul, doesn't it, if you look at it in slow motion? So I, I didn't buy that. I thought the second one, their second goal, thought uh, Morton was bundled to the floor as he's tried to win it, and that's allowed them to spring a break really quickly. But look, you know, it seems a long while ago now that Blackpool was all. And what I would say is the character that we showed to come back from 2-0 down um, will stand us in really, really good stead uh, for the rest of the season because you lose that game, you go into the MK Dons game, which we'll come on to in a minute, and, and maybe the heads are dropped a little bit. But actually coming out of that game, it felt like a win. And we've spoke about it on the podcast before. You know, we've had two... We've had three 2-2 two, two draws in recent weeks now, and two of them felt like defeats. The one against Accrington because we were winning 2-1 and conceded late. The one against Swindon just because they're rubbish and we should have beaten them. This was a 2-2 two, two draw. Same goals scored, same goals against, same sort of um, same points return. But it actually came out of it feeling really positive, and I think that was that was probably the big takeaway for me. Yeah, totally. I think the 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 point that you've made there about you know it it just feeling completely different to those other two games I think is because um, I mean particularly from my point of view you know I, th- I think we were feeling a little bit pessimistic going into it because we just didn't know what yeah. to expect <laughs> you know what I mean like you know we, we didn't really know what to expect I mean obviously the huge boost was that um, that Joe Walsh was was available um, and you know I think that news going into the weekend kind of put a little bit more a little bit more hope in uh, in in my you know estimations for the game. I think it was uh, um, it was just a solid performance in the end. And you know overall, I mean, as you say, the first half wasn't great, but overall, I think you know it, it was a really good springboard. And, and it it's one of those games where I think we've said it a few times this season where you know this is something that we can then build off, and then the next game after we've said oh that's something we can hopefully build off. It, it hasn't always been the case, but thankfully this week it actually was wasn't it i mean we'll, we'll come on to tuesday night um i mean you know i i don't really think too much can be said in a bad way about tuesday night i think the first half was it was that kind of continual probing and just trying to find the weaknesses and trying to exploit you know mistakes that mk were making and not quite not quite making it, but I mean, second half performance was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, MK were the architects of their own downfall. I mean, Mm-hmm. Jack Mulhall will be delighted because he he actually tweeted after last week's pod that he had wished there was XG talk to keep him entertained. So here's your <laughs> XG moment, um, Jack. <laughs> our, our XG against MK Dons was 1.52. Our XG in the 3-0 home defeat against Gillingham was 1.49. So in actual fact, in terms of chances... We created um, the same level of chances in a 3-0 defeat as we did in a 4-0 win. And and so I think to say our performance in the second half was excellent is reflecting on the fact that we scored four goals. Whereas in actual fact, I think it was probably a 1-0 or 2-0 game tops. Mm. Um, I think MK just capitulated. I think they conceded the first goal. Uh, that was always going to be crucial, um, the first goal. I think if they get it, then they just pass you to death and mm. and you'd probably end up losing 1-0. If we get it, then it shakes their confidence. And I, t- I tweeted during the game, much like Forrest Green a couple of years ago, 
you know, play real possession based football, play out from the back. But when they made an error, Forest Green back back, I think it was we 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 won at their place. Seem to remember a Kindy scoring might have been one nil, might have been two nil, something like that. Uh, it was um, sooner, I think. Header and a penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, and and they were just playing out from the back all the time, and they had no plan B. And mm. that was when I say my fear. You know, I don't care about MK Dons, but that that was their problem that they were trying to do that and there was no penetration whatsoever. Um, they never looked like scoring. They really didn't. I think there was one effort. Will Grigg nodded down and over in the first half, but you know, it was, yeah, it was a moment. Um, but we just, we had to stick to our game and I find it very interesting um, because people have talked a lot about the number of passes MK Don's made, which uh, was, was 545. So I, uh, it interested me to know how we fared against possession-based teams. Um, so I've been through every match this season, uh, looking at the number of passes that opposition players, uh, opposition teams have made. And do you know, in our league matches, we've played nine games where the opposition has made 500 passes or more. And we've won six of those games, drawn two, and we've only lost one. The one we lost was Sunderland, 4-0. Yeah. Um, and you look at MK, you know, the first game we played against them, 624 passes, we won 2-1. Mm. Ipswich played 626 passes when we beat them 1-0 at our place. Mm. Um, and I actually think that when a team comes to play us and wants to keep possession and wants to do well and wants to kind of break us down, we're a lot, lot better because mm. we can be patient and we can be organised and we can spring quick attacks. Yeah. Uh, and that bodes well because one team that we've already played twice uh, who have played more than 500 passes a whole, mm. uh, 533 and 503 in the cup. And I think, you know, games against teams who want to play the possession of base football, we will win. And um, that came to pass, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, totally. I think the the, the point there about the, the quick counterattacks and, you know, the, the ability that we have to move forward at pace was fully on display on Tuesday night. I think the um the the movement that you know the the, the lad showed on, on Tuesday was it, it just really outclassed um you know the the, the defence of MK and I think the the ability that was on you know was on display particularly Morgan Rogers I think he was involved in all three goals if uh, all four goals if I remember rightly. I think he he, he to won the penalty and I believe won the free kick as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was fouled for the free kick. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, when when you've got somebody like that that's involved in all all four goals, he was um, well, he was just a pain in their arse all game. Um, and I think you know the the the, the ball the, the two passes that he played for for more uh, for Brennan's first two goals, it, it was kind of carbon copy. You know, each goal was was very similar. Um, in terms of that, you know, that final ball and the the, the finish, um, and it just goes to show that I don't think the MK defence were learning from the mistakes, and you know, particularly, it was something that was being picked up on in the first half when you know there, there was a lot of misplaced passes going backwards or you know across the defence, and we had that pace to to pick those out, and I think we could sense that that was going to be their downfall I think that was going to be you know like you say they were architects of it themselves and I think having that ability to to pick that off and you know attack them with pace um it just really paid dividends and I think you know 
I think the one thing that we should probably mention. Well, um, just before we do, I, I actually disagree with a point you've made there. Um, and well, as you know, Christ. yeah, yeah, shocker. Eh? <laughs> um, but in in kind of a good way, because you said the two goals and the passes were carbon copies of each other. In actual fact, um, I thought they were two very different goals, similar finishes. I grant you that from Johnson. Um, but the, I mean, the pass for the first goal, I think Kev Barwise, it may have been tweeted that he felt that was as good a pass as the one Marriott made for Arnold. Mm. Um, and, and it was, you know, when we're looking to play, I mean, they call it a reverse ball, don't they? And and that baffles me a little bit because it's it's going forward. Um, but it's that, I'll use that now. It's that reverse ball that kind of, you know, Johnson's taken up a great position, as you correctly said. I'm, I'm building you up a bit, Ben, here before I disagree. So, <laughs> um, and, and it's a super finish. Now, the second goal, if you actually look at it, it reminds me an awful lot and you um trying to think of your age because you may not remember this clearly i don't know 96 euro 96 yeah yeah i remember Euro 96 Um, england holland uh england netherlands and it was a goal for was it sheringham was it anderton to sheringham to shearer and it just kept coming across the 18 yard box until they found shearer in space and he scored Mm -hmm. and it had elements of that mcgrandles has won the ball in a really good position it's gone out wide and then i think it was it scully to morton morton to rogers rogers to johnson and it just kept shifting five or six yards and you had four players all in an attacking space. So Rogers's layoff actually was a very easy ball. It wasn't the kind of the intelligent reverse ball, as they call it. Um, but it, you know, it was the same outcome. It was a stunning finish. And um, yeah, I, again, you can't understate McGrandall's role in mm. that goal for winning the ball and starting the attack in the first place. But then, like you've correctly said, the positional awareness of the players to make sure that you know that they knew where they were going to be. But that was suddenly a team playing with confidence. And that's what the first goal gave us. It was a moment of inspiration from Morgan Rogers to play the pass through. It was a moment of brilliance from Johnson because it was a great finish. And all of a sudden, everybody's heads went up. And we looked a different team from that point onwards. Absolutely. uh, I think that's the thing where you said the confidence. That's what's... I think that's probably what's been missing for the past, you know, few games. Um, and, and heads have dropped a little bit. And I think, you know, that there has been a bit of bad luck in there as well. Um, but with that first goal, like you say, the heads went up and all of a sudden there was, I think there was, it was almost like a tangible sense of belief, wasn't there? That, that you know, the guys thought, oh, okay, we can win this, you know, we can do this. And the, the confidence that they had to pick up on those mistakes from, from the MK players. I mean, I think Russell Martin said it himself after the game. It, it was just, I think you said it as well. You know, it wasn't a four-nil game. It was, you know, it was just the way that it, it happened. I think we both had four shots on goal, and I think, well, five shots on goal, and I think we've scored four, and they've they've not come away with anything. Um, and I mean, you know, I say we've had some bad luck. Um, do you think we maybe had a little bit of good luck as well? Um, I think the argument as to whether Brennan Johnson should have stayed on the field is is there for me. I think. Um, you know, kicking the ball away a little bit petulantly in the first half, and then literally under two minutes later, he's he's gotten himself involved in a, a bit of a heavy, a uh, bit of a heavy, heavy challenge. That had that first yellow card not been given, I would have probably said that that was a booking. Um, I mean, what was your view on that? Other re- referees send him off. Yeah. Um, card happy referee Trevor Kettle sends him off all day long. Seth yeah. Stockbridge sends him off all day long. Um, Bobby Madley is a very, very good referee. And 
referees are instructed, I am told, to try where possible to uh, keep it 11 versus 11. And that's what he's done. Uh, he's, he's seen that um, Johnson's a little bit fired up. It is a book in the second challenge. It isn't serious foul play. It isn't seriously dangerous. You know, it's not John Nolan against, um, you know, Ipswich on Harry Anderson kind of challenge. Mm. But it's a challenge that you could punish with a yellow card. And uh, I think MK Don's fans would have the right to complain about it. I would complain about it if it was against us. However, um, who, did, who did we play the other week where... Somebody was on a booking and they got away with two or three fouls. I'm thinking Sunderland. But it I'm was wrong. Sunderland, yeah. Um, so your know, referees do try and keep players on the pitch. So yeah, Johnson was a lucky boy. But look, I, you know, I, I'd like to focus a little bit on Madley because actually I thought he had a very, very good game. Um, a, a lot of referees don't give the penalty. Mm-hmm. It's a penalty, but how often do you see that sort of wrestling from corners? Yeah, every every single every game, game you see it three or four times, don't you? Yeah, and that if you go to the first half, there was a chance on around 15 minutes or so where I don't know if it was Bramwell or Johnson drove a crossing, uh, and Morton and Scully, neither of them could get on it, went straight across the front of the six yard box. Yeah. If you look, Morton is being held in the same way that um, Johnson was being held. Rogers. And uh, yeah, sorry, Rogers was being held. Sorry, I'm doing a, a Michael there, a tribute to Michael. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, he's being held in the same way, but I think the difference is that in both times we tried to stay on our feet, probably it was, you know, it's clever blocking if you're trying to get past the player, but when you're trying to get back away from the player as Rogers was, it was so much more obvious. I don't think it was a goal scoring opportunity. I think if Rogers does get away from, uh, the lad and the lads just come on, bear in mind, he'd been substituted onto the field 30 seconds before. Dan Garvey it was if Rodgers does get away from him doesn't score maybe he lays it off maybe we create a chance it was just for me that's brainless defending when you're 2-0 down and you've just made all the substitutions and you're going to go for it you know they're still in the game and he's come on and within 60 seconds you know they're never coming back from 3-0 down and I thought yeah I thought it was a good spot from Bobby Madeley I thought he had a decent game um yeah all evening I like that referee a lot yeah I mean I, I, I can't disagree there I think that the, the, the fact is that, like you say, those challenges occur week in, week out. Uh, you know, when you have a corner, when you have a, a free kick on the edge of the box, you know, that, that's being loaded in. It's just, it, it annoys me when it's not given because more often than not, you will see a free kick going the other way. I mean, we saw it all the time with Matt Reid, for example. You know, the, the I think there was one point where I thought that Matt Reid was essentially being used as a climbing frame by other defenders, but he would always get the three kits given against him. Um, and it was refreshing to see those sorts of things given. And like you said, I think I I would I don't think what was what happened with Morton in the first half um, was the same in terms of what was happening to him. It looked to me like it was like you say it was clever blocking, um, and that he was it was more obstruction than than him being held. But it's a foul, though, isn't it? I, uh, I mean, he's, the player, the player is not trying to play the ball. He's holding no, I think, on to I think he, was, he was getting himself in the way of of Morton so he can get to the ball. And I think that I, I don't think he was being held. Um, but in that instance, you're more likely to, um, you know, like you said, if if you're trying to move behind the defender, or sorry, you're trying to move past the defender and get in front of him. Um, that's not going to be given because it's it's probably just seen as you know two players coming together. Whereas, like you said, Rogers is trying to put his foot out behind him and get the ball, bring it down. 
that because he's being held, he then can't get back. It's it's a lot more obvious, and ultimately, yeah, I think you know, right decision. And um, credit, I, can I just say credit Rogers for not trying to go down? Oh, to, absolutely. You know, I think I don't know if that's something that Michael might have said to people now. Is that you know, obviously people are what well, people were complaining a lot about Brennan Johnson going down a lot and winning penalties. And I think I, I just think it was you know credit to pretty much everybody involved. And I've got to say credit to Brennan Johnson as well for having the balls to pick the exact same spot with his second take. <laughs> I was just thinking that <laughs> because you know nine times out of ten you retake a penalty. And somebody, you know, people will put it in a different position. But I think Johnson having, and it's that word again, it's confidence. You know, Brennan Johnson having the confidence to to stand up and go, no, I know exactly where I'm going to put this. I'm going to put it in the exact same spot and the keeper's not going to get to it. Fantastic stuff. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And this is a start I think you'll know. Is that the quickest hat-trick that's ever been scored for Lincoln City? No. Okay. No, again, this is uh, your your social media blackout means I, I'm informing you uh, of things, which is exciting. Um, no, Clive Ford scored one inside 11 minutes in 1967, uh, and I think he, uh, William Robertson. I might have the name wrong. If Gary Pyle's listening, he will tell me uh, that I, he scored one within six minutes in the late 20s. Although um, timings in those days were uh, a little dubious, to say the least. Uh, it's the quickest hat trick in the football league. Um, this season and it is the first hat-trick that we have scored in the third tier since I think the last day of the 83-84 season or the last couple of games John Thomas I think um, and it's the last hat-trick to be scored at Sinsel Bank in the Football League since Jamie Forrester when we beat Rochdale 7-1 Yeah I mean it, it looks like you know hopefully um, hopefully it looks like people are going to start coming back into not just the squad, but also coming back into form um, over the next few games. And I, I think I, I think you're quite right with that because I think when you look at Joe Walsh coming in, you know, I think you you maybe even said it on the podcast uh, a while back about how important he was, and I, I kind of said you know Liam Brid cuts the wild and we can we can do not do without, but we can <clears throat> negotiate Grant. We should be able to negotiate the centre back, um, but Walsh coming in. Uh, for me has been a little bit of a revelation for another player I'll touch on in a second but Walsh kind of offers that balance with the left foot doesn't he he's just he's more of a defender's defender when you look at the numbers you know he he plays fewer passes I think into the final third and fewer forward passes than either Adam Jackson or Lewis Monsma but Mm. he comes out on top for aerial duels one he comes out for interceptions clearances he comes out on top of I think I took five metrics I think he comes out on top of four of them um, and I think having the natural left-footed player there has helped Cohen Brammel massively. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been critical of Brammel. And when I say be critical, you know, I'm not, I never called him shit, but I think he had a tough start to his career at Lincoln. And, mm. and you know, when I think he's stepping up to League One, having played League Two, you're coming into a, a side that you know, we get better as we train together. We've seen that through the season. And when the games have come thick and fast, you know, there's no time really to work on general shape because you're preparing for the next game every time. You know, you, you uh, Alex Palmer told said to me the other day, you, you, 
lose on a Saturday, you're in on a Monday. You haven't got time to dissect what went wrong because you've got a game the next day. So you've got to prepare for that. And then you're off on the Wednesday. You haven't got time to dissect if anything goes wrong on the Wednesday game because Thursday, Friday, you're preparing for the Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I think Cohen Bramwell has benefited twofold. One from Walsh coming in and one from having a little bit more time away from not just preparing for games over the course of that week, um, but, you know, thinking about patterns of play. And I, I thought he was he was a candidate for man of the match for me um, on Tuesday night. And his free kick was superb. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just even before that, I think he was, you know, putting himself about. And I think the, the pace that he's got. And, you know, Michael said it when he when he signed him, he said he is rapid. And some of the some of the runs that he made on, on Tuesday were outstanding. You know, getting ahead of that last defender and getting in there. Um, occasionally, you know, the, the cross or the final ball maybe let him down a little bit. But more, you know, it was it was definitely ticking over into the the more positives than, than not um, on, on Tuesday. Uh, I think. One thing that has been noted, and you know, Rob mentioned this in the commentary as well, is that one thing that's been missing since George Grant's been out has been the the set piece play. Um, corners haven't necessarily been fantastic, and to a point, free kicks haven't been. But I think Cohen Bramall's put his flag firmly in the ground for you know being on free kick duty after that because what a strike it was, and I mean. <sighs> I, I just want to give him the goal because, you know, it, it it looked like it hit the target and the keeper just got a fingertip to it, which then put it against the post and then went in. But, I mean... I thought it come back off the post and hit the keeper and went in. Sorry, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if the keeper got a touch onto the post. I thought he did. But either way, that technique was something else, wasn't it? You know, you... It, it wasn't necessarily curling it round the wall. It was over and above it. And the pace and the dip on it was just something else. Like what a free kick that was. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was it was a nice strike. Um, I, we've still got an issue from corners. You said there, you know, with George Grant, being out, even when George wasn't out, we, we, we didn't do enough from corners. We don't have enough of a, um, a physical aerial threat in the area, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but I, 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 you know, that's something that, when you're fourth in League One, it's it's not a major problem. It's if you're scrapping for points, you know, we're not brilliant from from those set pieces. But yeah, Cohen Bramwell's certainly shown you can hit a free kick. And the thing is, he's hit it where a right foot should have been hitting it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, what will he be able to do from the left? We've got players with really good technique. And, you know, Cohen's been at Arsenal and he's trained at Arsenal. And he may have come from League Two in terms of defending and, and one of League Two's worst sides, Colchester, I think, are in real danger of relegation if they're not careful. Um, and you know, it's quite clearly a step up in quality to come into Lincoln City. Um, you know, we've got better players than Colchester had and he's you know, he's got playing against better opposition. But I think I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I see him as being very much like Tom Pett in people weren't going to appreciate him until he was settled. Well, I think actually... You know, he got he got man of the match um, a couple of games ago as well, didn't he? I can't think who we played. Was it Ipswich? It might have been. He was outstanding in another game. But here's a question for you: three man race, Harry Anderson, Zach Elbazedi, Cohen Bramall. Who's going to win that? I think Bramall wins it. Not sure. Elbazedi's pretty quick, you know, as well. Mm. Be interesting to see that. I know one thing: they'd both be round the pitch twice before Matt Reid had got to the halfway line. <laughs> 
I love reading. I don't want. I, I know Jack Mulhall does. Second time, Jack, you've been mentioned. Superstardom. Um, I know he loves reading. I don't want any pelters on social media. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, overall, um, you know, I think it, it just started to get to that point, didn't it? Where it was like it was like that clip from The Simpsons where um, the I think Homer's punching the, the Hamburglar type guy and he's got the kid going stop he's already dead I think it got to that stage on on Tuesday night and it was um it was really refreshing to see like you know four second half goals I don't think I've seen that for quite a while um but hopefully yeah you know that that's the confidence is now coming back you know the the the, the boys look really really good like, I, I don't really know how else to say it like they look really they look full of energy they look uh, motivated they look you know confident with what they're doing um and it was that ruthlessness that I think Michael said before that was was potentially lacking you know they didn't want to they didn't want to settle for you know 2-0 or 3-0 you know, they, they wanted to carry on going and I mean it, it could have been even more if you know we'd have had another five minutes I think it was just Really, really pleased with the performance, and obviously, other results going our way have kind of tilted things. Now we're, like you say, we're fourth in the league, and with you know fully back in that um, in that playoff hunt. So we were never out of it then. Some we're never people out. Would say they were. Some I people would, yeah, no, we were never out of it. We, I always had us down as favourites for sixth. Um, now the the way the results have spun very quickly, we we are. We're in a we're in a good position, and um, we are. Uh, by the way, you saw four second half goals when we beat Forest Green in the FA Cup. We got yeah. four second half then, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, it's interesting because the fact is, it doesn't really matter whether you finish second or sixth because there's no benefit in playing home and away at the moment, and and I don't think there will be by the time the playoffs come around. So, and if you're going to go through in the playoffs, you've got to beat two of the three teams that are in there. And the only one you don't have to beat is the one that's not good enough to beat one of the ones you do have to beat. So, um, you know, all I want to see doesn't matter to me whether we finish third, fourth, fifth or sixth, as long as we finish in one of those spots. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be a very, very big ask for us to finish any higher than that. But we've got Peterborough to play. We've got Hull to play. You know, and there's, I, I think we're coming into form, hopefully, at just the right time. And when you look at the playoffs, you know, it's not usually the side that finishes third that are automatically favourites. It's the side that have been playing the best football or have been building up in the run-up. And if we were to make the playoffs, we will have done so without half of our squad. And so we'll be stronger going into those, should we make it, than some of the teams around us. I mean, I read today Sunderland have got another centre-half gone down now. Dion Sanderson, he's out for the season. So their fans are now saying, well, we're in serious trouble there because, you know, they've been playing Dion Sanderson as the only fit centre-half alongside right-back Luke O'Nine. Mm. So they could they could be struggling. I, th- I think Portsmouth are in form at the right time. But again, it's, it's you know, the new manager kind of going in there does mean that there's new ideas to be implemented. Mm. Um, we've seen how Doncaster have fallen away. I don't see a team coming into form below us. I know Oxford have just won two, two or three on the bounce. So... You know, they potentially it could be them, but you know, if we go now for what we got left, seven games, am I right? It's say seven. Yeah. Um, if if suddenly you take fourteen points from seven, two points a game is about right. That's what that's that gets you promoted, and mm-hmm. I can see it realistically. If we you know if we stick to our guns and players start coming back, that's a realistic aim. 
And if you haven't, if you've not lost too many going into that, that final, those playoff games and you play them with confidence. We saw it when Bristol Rovers beat us in the playoffs in 2006-07. And there's, you know, a nice little segue for you as well. Um, but we saw it, you know, they, they were nowhere and we were automatic promotion contenders. Yet they played us off the park because they come into form. Yeah. We saw it when Leeds missed out, when Sheffield United and Norwich went up. And, and Leeds had been dueling with them. It had been them three all season. Leeds dropped to third. Aston Villa were 11th with about four games to go or whatever. And they were the ones that hit four. And they were the ones that they were winning games and rising up the table. And there's a lot to be said for that. And, and you know me, Ben. I don't put a lot of weight in the form table. I always say it's all about the 46-game form. But in actual fact, how you're playing in the last six or seven games can have a big, big bearing on how you do in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. It's... it's um... I mean, we you know we mentioned it last week. Um, I said to Jake that, that there's always that one team, isn't there, that kind of has that late run. Um, and for me, that team has been Blackpool. Um, you know, obviously, I think they're going to be in and around it. I think I, I can't really see them dropping out of the top six. Um, but yeah, I just I, it's so hard to call it at the moment because you know, like we said you can see results change everything in, in the space of a week. Um, let, let me put my balls on the block and call it. Go on then. Sunderland, Blackpool, Portsmouth, Lincoln. Okay. As it is now. Yeah. I think, um, I, that, I, yeah, and, and I'm, you know, I may sound a knob um, in three weeks time because we've got a lot of fixtures coming up and uh, that might just be confidence from a 4-0 win that, you know, that, for the grace of God, could have been a three 0 defeat because that's what the Gillingham game was, and the and chances created were very similar. But I I just think, you know, I've heard a, a rumor. I don't know if it's true that George Grant might be back on the grass training, and he might I, be back in the side. Yeah, I think, think um I think Jay mentioned that last week. I think it was uh, it's come from uh I think Darren said, Chapman. That, yes, yeah, yeah, I think he said yeah it was Alice's dad that's potentially said it. So um and you know that. Again, the thing is, you know, when you George comes back, where does he play? He plays alongside what Conor McGrandles in midfield. So where do you then play Teo? He'd probably play Teo at the six. And and Joe Walsh being in the centre in the defence means that for me it doesn't quite need the same amount of protection as when Lewis Monsma's there because Monsma likes to come out, he likes to step out, he likes to play uh, forward and ahead. Um, and and when it's Jackson and Walsh, it's a little bit different demographic. Well, when Brickcut comes back. Because do you drop Cohen Bramwell? Not on the, the the current form. Where does Teo play? And Teo's got to play for me because he's been one of the best players this uh, over the last sort of six months or so. Mm. So actually, we're going to have gone from a threadbare squad to having a, a potentially an embarrassment of riches. Um, and I, I think that to me that is where that's the kind of problem that you know I I really really don't envy Michael for having because it's it's one of those where you've you've suddenly got you've got to decide, right, okay, who of this incredibly talented bunch have I got to play? And hopefully that, you know, starts to, the the, the returns start to trickle in over the next few days, uh, next few weeks. Um, I mean, I was delighted to see Joe Walsh come back. I thought, he, you know, he's he's made things just that little bit more assured. And like you say, having that left-footed uh, central defender kind of frees up um, the, the left-back to do a lot more than what they were doing. So, I don't, yeah. think it's just, I don't think it's just the left-footedness. Uh, I also think it's the level of experience as well. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. Because, and potentially, I, I, I'm not going to talk down Lewis Monsma because I think he's got a big future, but I think Adam Jackson is an experienced defender when he's got Bramwell to the left of him and 
Monsmer to the right of him is almost having to think for three men himself and both of them. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think when Jackson shuffled across to the right side, he's experienced enough in the English game at the moment to be able. You know, Joe Walsh doesn't have to worry about where Adam Jackson is or what he's doing, other than centre backs have you know other than normal, other than they'd have normally have to. Yeah. So I think he's then able to more cover more cover sensibly and as I said I also think it helps out with the number six or, or with the, the four or the CDM or whatever you want to call it because I think there's less pressure then on the CDM and even when Brid cuts back if it's Bridcut with Montsmer, Jackson and Bramall and Bramall's attack minded you know Bridcut's having to think do, do I go and fill in for Bramall or, or is it going to be Montsmer whereas yeah I, I just think it adds a little bit of um, solidity and, and you know that's not from that's not me ruling out Lewis Munsmer as a first team player but I think at the moment our best centre back pairing is Jackson and Walsh yeah, um, I'd actually I'd actually quite like to see um, Munsmer as a as a right wing back I think that would be interesting probably not quite got the pace for it but I tell you where he would be he'd be great on the right of a three man defence in like a three five two or something like that with a with Bramble and Paul or Bramble and whoever pushing up into kind of wing back roles, but we don't play that formation. So no, no, it could be a could be an interesting one. So um, right, I think that's probably enough to to put MK to bed. Um, I've just watched a pigeon uh, poo on a rat. <laughs> Not niche porn either. Genuine occurrence from the bird table outside the window. Wow. Yeah. I mean that's that's the kind of insight you only ever get on this podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what else was there that we needed to discuss before we move on to Bristol? Because I'm going to touch on Morgan Rogers, weren't we? Winning the EFL Young Player of the Month. That's the one. Yeah. So, you know, recognition for for Morgan. Um, I think a lot of people were giving him a little bit of stick and saying, he, you know, why is he playing? Why is he playing? And then all of a sudden comes back with uh, a run of performances that win him Young Player of the Month. So that's probably why he was playing, lads. Um, yeah, thoroughly deserved. And uh, he's he's still a really exciting prospect, isn't he? Yeah, it surprised me, if I'm honest. It surprised me because we didn't have a good month. And Morgan Rogers is a player. When he's good, he's very, very good. When he's bad, he's anonymous. Um, and I think, you know, for much of the game against Blackpool, and I know that wasn't taken into account because obviously he, he got it for, for March, not April, but for much of the game against Blackpool, he, you know, he, he was a bystander. And I think at times, Rodgers and Johnson, when it works, is brilliant. And we saw that against MK Dons, you know, they're, they're, they're so well together. But then there was a period of time when Johnson was in the midfield and Rodgers was ahead of him where actually it didn't work at all. Uh, and and there was games where it looked incredibly frustrating from a, a supporter's point of view. So I was actually quite surprised to see him get it. I, I think there's a lot of exciting young footballers um, around League One and, and certainly in the wider EFL. And it's it's good from our point of view, um, not just because he scored a couple of great goals and assists. And, you know, he is a very, very good footballer. And probably um, I'm as guilty as anyone here of kind of playing him down when when he when he has a plenty of impact. Uh, but what it means is that Manchester City look at Lincoln City and go, our player goes there and he wins awards and he gets goals and he gets football. It's the same with with um, Brennan Johnson as well. I will confidently say there is zero chance that either of those players will be wearing a Lincoln shirt next season. But... Um, there is every chance that other clubs uh, in in their position will be looking at our team and thinking, I'll send my players there. 
And when you think about Manchester United sending, uh, who's the lad? Dylan Levitt, and they sent out to Charlton and he didn't really get much game time and he's in and out of the side. Next year, if Manchester United have got a key player, young player who they want to send out on loan, where are they going to send him? Charlton, where he didn't get a lot of game time. They're going to send him to Bolton, where the manager calls out loan players when they don't do well. They're going to send him to Lincoln City, where they win awards. And I think Brennan Johnson, is it 12 goals and 12 assists? Uh, I think so, yeah. I know he's, he's on 12 goals. I'm not sure about his assist count. I just think, from my point of view, I mean, this is really selfish. I don't think, you know, yeah, I felt happy for the lads. Of course I did. Um, but I always look at it as how does it affect the team? And I think it just makes a, a massive, massive statement to clubs. And let's be honest, at this level, you know, you're as good as your loan players. And mm-hmm. and I spoke there about um, Sunderland and Dion Sanderson, you know, great loan signing, done really well for him. Gavin White at Hull. Great loan signing. You, know, you you get the right loan signing in. Look at our forward line, all three of them loans. Alex Palmer loan. Yeah, key, key players for us that we wouldn't be able to afford the quality of. So we've got to have a good reputation with big clubs. And Morgan Rogers picking up the award is um, you know, he's phenomenal for us. It really is. Absolutely. Um, Let's see something else we can talk about as well, if you want. Go on then. Tom Shaw. Okay. Going to... Um, Gainsborough, isn't he? I, I don't know if you saw that, have you? Uh, no, I haven't, no. So, obviously, you know who Tom Shaw is, the um, the guy who works with the youth academy, youth coach, kind of managing the under-18s, etc. cetera, mm-hmm. uh, is now combining that role with the manager's job or the head coach role at Gainsborough Trinity. Okay. Uh, and I found it really interesting. It, it's kind of, it hasn't snuck in under the radar as such because it was mentioned, but I think, you know, we're talking about results and things on the pitch. Um I, I kind of labelled it as a Lincoln B, and that was wrong. Um, and I did say it would it wouldn't be sold as that. But what it gives us, I think, is some continuity for some of our younger players to get senior football. And mm. I I think it will lead to one or two of our under eighteen players um, going out to Gainsborough Fraternity, playing the same style and the same tactics that Tom's been playing in the under eighteen. So it will offer a degree of continuity. Um, I think that's a really exciting hookup. And when you consider how close Gainsborough actually is to the EPC, I think there was only about three or four miles difference between Sinsel Bank and the EPC and, and the North Home and the EPC. So um, I think it's great for Tom as well, because obviously he's a he's an aspiring young coach. And if he does well there, our, our local non-league scene has provided numerous big name managers, Jim Smith, Howard Wilkinson, Martin O'Neill, all spring to mind. In the first instance, I think they were at Grantham. Uh, and, and, and two at Boston. So I think that's, I think it's interesting news. And I think it's reflective of what goes on in the wider club that sometimes, you know, as fans, we, you and I sit here, we talk about results and performances. Uh, but we both know that there's so much more to a football club than that from mm-hmm. top to bottom. And, you know, I, I believe it's our, you know, we should be shining a light on some of these things. We should be looking at the youth team and the infrastructure and, and talking that up. And obviously I've you know, made contact with Jez George in the past about coming on and regrettably I haven't followed it up, but he's certainly keen to come on and talk about that as well. So um might be something to consider for the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. So um yeah that I, I wasn't aware of that. That's a you know that is a really exciting um prospect as you said for for the uh, for the youth team. It, it's something that I wouldn't have thought about until you said it there. I just thought, you know, having them available to to go out and play, you know, in a in a 
non-league environment it's uh, you know we talk about loans going coming to us from the premier league and we're doing you know similar sorts of things there and getting the young players blood through so yeah really exciting stuff if that's what happens might well, yeah. i might have read it i might have read it completely wrong and tom might work completely independently um, but again, it's that it's the same, really. It's a similar sort of theory to the Morgan Rogers thing that, yeah, you know, okay, we don't have Manchester City coaches working. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, something's got to attract uh, players to a certain club. Yeah. And I think you know, having Tom understanding our players is is good. And bear in mind, you see, if they're if obviously Gainsborough being part time, lads go. If we do loan them a couple of lads, they go and train there two nights a week, and they're getting the same level of training as they then do back at with youth. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think an under-23 team is not going to happen at Lincoln City down to cost and down to the fact that they don't want to put – I think Liam said it before or certainly somebody said it to me before that they don't want to put that extra barrier in from youth football to the first team because players can get lost in there and you get the situation like the Man City have just paid 400000 for a kid from Stevenage who's 13. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? You, you, young talent can get lost in development. Yeah, um, you only need to look at Jude Bellingham to see you know, if they're young enough, if they're good enough, then age is is irrelevant. Uh, mm. And I think sometimes there's a reticence, particularly in League One, to rely on young players. And mm. and that's probably the one sadness I might have from the MK Dons game a bit is that actually when we're four 0 up, it would have been a really great time to give Freddie De Draper his debut. And, yeah. But you know, Michael's the manager, and I'm definitely not going to question his methods when we're doing what we are doing. Absolutely. So um, I did want to just briefly, we were talking about loans and, you know, everything. Um, the, the questions arising at the moment for me of, of what's TJ Omer done wrong? Um, He's not our player and we've got players in his position that are our player and Michael's thinking one step ahead. Why hmm. why, why bench Regan Paul, who's got a two and a half year deal or whatever he's got with Lincoln um, in favour of TJ when next year TJ's going back to Spurs uh, and Regan's our player. And, and we saw with Tom Pett, who I always use as the example, that sometimes you need six months to bed in properly. I don't think TJ's done anything wrong. I think he's come here. I think the loan has served the purpose for him. He's got regular games. Um, it, it's interesting because I actually did a, an interview with him, um, which subsequently I suffered technical difficulties, corrupted memory card, puddles, all that sort of stuff. Not good. So it'll never be published. Um because I lost the transcript, but we did have a bit of a chat and he, he, he kind of said, you know, all he wants to do now is play football. And if that's not a Spurs, it'll be back out on loan. Wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't back with us. But I think because it's uncertain, we've got to, you know, we've got to look, look after our own, haven't we? I, th- I mean, you, you will have heard criticism, I'm sure, as well in the past when we're playing loan players over our own players. Mm. You know, we got that with Connor Coventry and Ellis. You know, why is Connor playing? Why is Connor Coventry playing and not Ellis? And, you know, so on the flip side, why would we sign Regan Paul and then play TJ? That's my opinion, mate. Anyway, I don't know if you agree. No, I, I, I understand. I, I just think, um, I mean, part of me thinks it, it sort of puts paid to all those, you know, bullshit nonsense rumours about, oh, well, you know, Spurs are only loaning him to us and he's got a thing in his contract that says he has to play X many games or he has to play every single game, which is why so-and-so is not going all those kind of talk, just oh, that talk does my head in. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I, I, it, it's, um, I, I know I, I did pick up on something that Michael said a few weeks back um, where I think he said that TJ wasn't, you know, he, he didn't feel that he'd been applying himself 
in in the right way. I don't know if that's the exact wording or not. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it was definitely something um, along those lines. And I just wondered if he's, you know, maybe fallen a little bit out of favour. Um, no, I don't. I don't, I, I don't think so. I okay. don't think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's all opinion. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but I, I just think also because of his versatility, and you know, maybe one or two of the others are not quite as versatile. Um, I think you, you save TJ for if he's needed mm. as well. Yeah. I, yeah it, people have said about him not playing as much in recent weeks, but actually he's he's had game time. He's had you know not at right back, but he's he's certainly had um, plenty of game time. I think and it's served its purpose. Well, it's his first full season again. You got to remember these Saturday Tuesdays that potentially you know Spurs want us to protect their player a little bit from the exposure towards the end of the season. I don't know. I think there's a million and one uh, factors as to why he's not playing, but I don't think falling out of favour. I don't think Michael has favourites. I think he picks teams to win games, and at the minute he's picking teams to win games with a view to to next season as well. Yeah, no, that's not fair enough. Um, so I think it's probably about time we move on to Bristol Rovers, um, a game that I mean I think by rights I'd, I'd hope that we would. I'd hope that we'd be picking up the points, um, you know, third from bottom against fourth from top. I don't think they've had a, they've had too many wins. I think, what was it, one win in the last, is it seven or eight? Um, where am I looking? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, one win, one win in the last eight games. Um, <clears throat> I mean, and that was against Doncaster. Yeah, who are in absolute free fall at the moment. I couldn't beat an egg at the minute. No. So, yeah, you know, it's a game that I, I think we would hopefully be eyeing up with with three points in mind. Um, you know, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But um, given the confidence boost that we've had from the MK game, um, how do you see it going? Well, let me I, I, I was reading up on Bristol Live before we came on air and I just I just needed to read these exact quotes from the Bristol Live coverage guy. So, you know, this guy is to um, Bristol Rovers as to what the likes of kind of Lee Curtis, John Pakey, et cetera, were to Lincoln City. OK, so you know, he writes about them. He's around them. He's talking to the manager with five games left, nine points, which even the most optimistic of gas heads could not realistically expect may not be enough. Anything less than victory against Lincoln City on Saturday would almost certainly spell the end of Rovers' five-season stint in League One. Um, last orders have been called at the Last Chance Saloon. Do they serve miracles there? Because that's exactly what Rovers need. And then this is, where's the classic line? Uh, let me just try and find it. With regards to results not going their way uh, the other day, uh, on the Tuesday night. Um, sorry for this. I did have it. Um, they have had enough chances to save themselves, but they've turned to dust. All season, one has wanted to make excuses for these players and the turbulence they've endured. But the undeniable reality is that they are a bad team deserving of little sympathy. <laughs> Bloody hell. You know, and you say we were negative last week. The the headline, the headline to the piece, Bristol Rovers get no favours from Sunderland, Ipswich Town, but gas are not deserving of help. (laughs) 
And there was another bit where he said they deserve to be relegated. Oh, here it is. The harsh truth is Rovers deserve no favours. In fact, they deserve to be relegated. And that's that's the official Bristol Post, Bristol Live, you know, Reach PLC, same company that owns Lincolnshire Echo and uh, a load of other um, papers and, and, and websites as well. I mean, that is damning. Now I'm going to flip something on its head because I'm actually going to get, remind you of something that I'm sure you've forgotten about. But when we did our predictions for the mm-hmm. season, you put Bristol Rovers in the bottom four for no other reason than they signed John, sold Johnson Clark Harris and I ridiculed you. And it now does look like they might go down. Now, I know it's an accidental win. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not accidental. They're just not scoring enough goals. You're quite right. They're not. They're not. Brandon Hanlon had scored eight going into the new year and he scored one since. Um, and I think of those eight, at least two of them were penalties. Jonah Ayunga, they signed from non-league in pre-season. He's playing um, plenty of games at the minute. He's only got uh, three goals. One of those was in the Football League trophy and two others were in a in a single game. So I think um, look, the, the fact is this Bristol Rovers squad uh, should not be where they are, in my opinion. They've got good players. Jack Baldwin at this level is a, he's a good central defender. Luke Lee, Lee uh, at, at fullback. Good player. Ed Upson, good player. Zane Westbrook was a big sign in, in the summer. Brandon Hanlon actually isn't a bad footballer at this level. They've got um, uh, Oz Tuma as well, the, the Turkish lad who was at Millwall. Uh, not uh, Millwall. Walsall. Um, another player who, you know, at this level, they should be doing better. But you cannot run a football club like Bristol Rovers have been run this season. You cannot have three managers in a season. And they're very critical, I think, of the fact that they haven't made... They didn't make signings in the summer. Um, I think uh, in the winter window, rather, apparently they needed a right back. They're playing George Williams at right back, who was at MK Dons last year. I don't think he's particularly impressing. Interesting fact, he only scored one goal for MK Dons last year, and it was the one that beat us at their <laughs> place. Um, when you look at their their formations, um, I mean, they played a three. These are the uh, formations at home only, because obviously you, know, you, you may set up differently away. Three, four, two, one when they drew 0-0 Wimbledon, 3-5-2 when they lost 1-0 to Swindon, 4-2-3-1 when they lost 1-0 to Sunderland, and 3-5-1-1 when they beat Doncaster Rovers. There's no clear pattern. Um, It doesn't look to me like there's any kind of clear way forward for them. And they will be devastated to have beaten Doncaster 2-1 and then not managed to hold on to a lead that they had for an hour of the game against Northampton. And quite rightly so. You know, they've got us, MK Dons and crew at home, Portsmouth and Blackpool away. Well, they wouldn't expect anything from Portsmouth and Blackpool. Mm. So us, MK Dons and crew, you know, maybe, maybe it, it, it's a huge, huge game for them. If we weren't to win it, our promotion hopes remain intact. Dented, mm. but intact. If they don't win the game, then they will be going away to Scunthorpe United next season. I was going to say Grimsby, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That made me laugh. Um, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's it depends how much fight they've got in them, um, for, for my mind. I think, obviously, we saw earlier in the season, um, I think that would probably be a result that we would... You know, looking back on it, we might now call a fluke result. 
Um, I think but, I called it that at the time. Yeah, you know, it's it's it was a, a disappointing day um, to to come away with nothing from that game. But um, I just yeah, hopefully you know we can build on what happened on uh, on Tuesday night and and take it to him. I mean, I I, I can't really see them unless they are you know, massively massively up for the fight. I can't really see anything other than three points for us at the minute. Do you know the last time we went to Bristol Rovers as a league club? Was it 06-07? Yep, it was when they beat us in the playoffs 2-1. Yep, I remember uh, that game because I was walking down a, I was walking down towards the ground from the train station and um, I think it was a Magnus bottle like flew in front of my face and it, it must have missed me by about a foot and I looked to my right and there was just this swarm of angry Bristol supporters coming towards us. I was like... Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, disappear for a minute and um, yeah, that was uh, that was a moment that was. Um, it was the first Lincoln City playoff game I missed. Was it? I didn't go to Bristol that day. Such was my apathy as our at our end to the season mm. that I just didn't I didn't go I didn't go. Yeah, we I think because we'd been rubbish, haven't we? And then we'd scraped in by beating Chester on the final game of the season. Mm. Um, and you know, in actual fact, we weren't that bad in the playoffs. It was just Bristol Rovers were in such good form, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know they had the likes of Ricky Lambert playing from at the time, Richard Walker, Craig Disley, uh, Joe Jacobson. I mean, they had a they had a, a good side. Um, yeah. But then we did. We should have been better. Yeah. We should have been better. You know, our team that day was Marriott Morgan, Beavers, Eden, Nat Brown, Paul Greenley, Frecklington, Jeff Hughes, Scott Kerr, Jamie Forrester, and Mark Stallard. I mean, that's. That's actually a decent Lincoln side, mm-hmm. and uh, and Matt Brown, um, <laughs> Matt Brown and his forever existent uh, wrist, bra- uh, wrist yeah. brace. And then you know he missed the second leg. He was on the bench for the second leg, and that for me is it was Morgan Beavers who came in there. Then Ryan Amu came in, um, and we had Danny and Gessen not getting a kick, not getting a kick. Mm-hmm. I remember that game because they were like two 0 up, I think, weren't they after ten minutes. Yeah, that was. Uh... So, but as, as I've said, I, 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 it's odd because obviously we didn't get to go away to Bristol Rovers last year. Um, we haven't actually beaten Bristol Rovers uh, since the fifth of December two thousand and six, uh, and that was a Jamie Forrester penalty mm. at home. So, you know, we've had two results against them in successive seasons that I don't think were fair reflections. We lost 1-0 in the first game after Danny Cowley left the club uh, last year, and it was a penalty where their their lad just threw himself to the floor um, under a challenge from Neil Erdley, and it was never a penalty. Boyerson was the referee and gave it. I remember that clearly. Uh, I think Bristol Rovers have got worse since then. Uh, and then, obviously, earlier in the season, we were... Yeah, we took the lead in the game earlier in the season. Months were scored, didn't they? And then we gave away a stupid penalty for Adam Jackson. Um, they scored straight from us scoring as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, we owe them. I, I would be very, very disappointed if we didn't win the game. It's the sort of game we wouldn't, we don't win. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> but I, I, I just think with the the bounce from Tuesday, um, you know, we make a if if we win the game. Uh, we make a big, big statement to uh, to Blackpool, to Sunderland, and to Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, and some interesting ties, isn't there as well? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've 
um, seeing the fixture list. But you know, you're, I'm always looking now who else, who else is playing who. Um, do you know what I mean? Because mm. actually, teams playing the likes of MK Dons and Crew now are probably in a better position than teams playing the likes of of Wigan and Northampton because the teams at the bottom are fighting for their lives. I'd probably rather we were playing crew than Bristol Rovers because mm. they desperately need the points. Um, but other games in our division, Charlton Ipswich, which, you know, they're two teams that are hunting us desperately, aren't they? Yeah. So any, you know, an outcome in that game, a draw or an Ipswich win, ideally brilliant for us. Oxford Gillingham. I mean, Gillingham are not going to make the playoffs now, but they can certainly stop Oxford doing it. Mm-hmm. MK Dons Portsmouth. I don't think MK Dons were that bad, actually. Blackpool Sunderland. So that's, that's a huge game. I mean, I think I think of the games are in and around us. I think Blackpool Sunderland's obviously the you know the big one for the weekend for me. Um, you know, you've, you've got Peterborough playing Northampton, and like you say, when you when you kind of in and around that position, I think Northampton Northampton's still desperate for the points at the minute. Is that, Where is are they Friday, in the league at that, the moment? Yeah, they are. They're in the bottom. bottom yeah, they're in the bottom right. four. So that's going to be a tough game for for them. I mean, when is that? Is that Friday? I don't uh, Saturday. Is it Friday or is it Saturday? Let's just have a look. Uh, yes, it's Friday. Yeah, you see. You look at the league. We've played thirty nine now. Again, dangerous trap to fall into if we win our game in hand. If we win our game in hand, that's sixty nine points. Okay, it's seven behind Peterborough. Um, but if you play Peterborough and beat them, it's four points. And I, I, I you know, I, we're not going to get automatic promotion. It's a ridiculous thing to suggest. Mm. But the fact is, we're suddenly looking up, not down. And and when you look down, you know, you've got Oxford in seventh, sixty-two play, points played forty-one. Even if you average two points a game, let's say, mm. we'll be eight points clearer than by the time we draw level on games. Um, and Charlton look a little bit of a danger, sixty-two, and we're on sixty-six. But, you know, Portsmouth are going to be looking now on 65 points, 40 games, thinking actually uh, Charlton win their game in hand 9-0 and, uh, well, yeah. and they go for <laughs> Portsmouth. So yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's tight there. And, and arguably you could even still say, you know, I've, I've ruled Gillingham out. You, could, you know, you look at Gillingham there. On, OK, they've played 41 games, but they're only six points outside. Mm-hmm. So once we get the next 10 days out of the way, um, so this Saturday, well, not even 10 days, a week, this Saturday, next Tuesday, you know, we're going to know where we're going to be, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't disagree with you on that one. So, um, But yeah, I, I think, um, I think like I said, we'd, we'd be disappointed if we didn't bring away three points at the weekend. Um, hopefully, you know, it, it, we can carry on with the way that we have been going, um, particularly after Tuesday night. Um, is there anything else that we need to, to quickly discuss before we disappear for a week? No, I don't think so. All right, bye then. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't think of anything uh, that I need to discuss, uh, or that we need to discuss. I can't think of any news that we should be promoting. Um, no, not not off the top of my head. Um, I think we're pretty much done. Ooh. So uh, right, we will see you guys this time next week. Hopefully, today has been something of a, a more positive experience and you know gaz can claim that he's the the responsibility behind that but uh fact <laughs> gaz right. brings the fun does he though my 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 insight brings the girls to the yard 
you know the the milkshake song that that's that's fallen flat that's not worked at all no it hasn't but that's staying in that's not getting edited yeah no no that please do stay in any anything that paints um yourself in a better light after last week needs to stay in um, <laughs> it really does i do what genuinely genuinely you won't have seen it on social media and it wasn't uh it's not directed at you it was directed at the general podcast i saw at least two people say that they might take a break from the stacy west podcast after the negativity wow yeah genuinely so so if you are one of those two people never fear gary's here (laughs) never say that again all right (laughs) you should have it as your ringtone (laughs) i've I've got to do this and i know that charlie russell doesn't listen but i I, um cornell's podcast has had me in hysterics (laughs) back again (laughs) just that man is mad. The lad is crazy, crazy, crazy. Oh dear. Your I've boy. actually got some. I've actually got some uh, some little audio clips from when your other favourite Ben is on Match Day Live with you, um, and uh, the, the lad from is it Cod Vlogs? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And um, I say your other favourite Ben. He's probably your favourite Ben. Um, no, but he's, no, no, I I knew another Ben once who was better than you both. Oh, screw you then. However, um, why? There's a couple of choice audio clips which are, um, yeah, which are, are going to make an appearance when you least expect it. So, um, what there about? we go. That me? No, it's from you. Oh, really? Yeah, stuff like, you know, I agree with Ben and things like that. I'm just going <laughs> to. I see you've been clipping those up ready of you and you're going to drop them in. <laughs> if you start distorting what I say, it will erode the integrity of the podcast to a point where um, I won't be able to save it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, guys, we'll see you next week. Uh, up the Ibs. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.